Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Timber Living Log Cabins. For your perfect workspace, living space or hideaway, timberliving.ie. Let's get some spiritual guidance for the festive season now. Mark Patrick Hederman, retired abbot of Glenstall Abbey, good morning. Good morning, Brendan. And you're at the Abbey there, I know, making preparations for your famous Midnight Mass tomorrow night. Is Christmas a a hectic time for for you and your brothers down in the Abbey, or is it a more chilled kind of contemplative time? Well, it's both, I would say. It's hectic in preparation for the ceremonies and for uh, the festive season, but, you know, and it's a joyful time. But the um, life goes on exactly as it normally is. We're in the church four times a day. And, you know, the day is around the ceremonies for Christmas. So are you in the church four times a day every day? Is that so there's there's matin? You start with matins, is that right, in the morning? That's right, yeah, yeah. What time is that? At 6.30. Okay, and then next? is a Mass at 12. Right. And then Vespers at 6, and then Compline at 8.30. So your day and your life, is for all of you, is very much around uh, those four things in the day. Is that right? Is that, that's the... Yes, yeah. that, that would be it, yeah. That would be the important mm-hmm. bits of the day. And can I ask, will, will, do the monks, will you buy each other presents for Christmas, or is there a secret Santa system, or...? How does no. it work? Uh, in fact, uh, the rule of St. Benedict, which was written in 480, has definitely prescribed in one of the chapters that the monks should neither give nor receive any presents. Why? Well, I presume, you know, giving presents is a kind of power. Uh, you know, most people, when they visit somebody, they don't want to go just as they are. They want to bring something with them that will make the person they're visiting uh, grateful and feel, you know, that you're kind of uh, giving them something. It, it, it means that you're not enough yourself but you're uh, presenting something that really isn't you, but it makes the other person feel somehow rather indebted to you. So you're saying that the, like in, in a kind of a passive-aggressive way, the present is almost a kind of an act of aggression or dominance, yes? Well, not, I wouldn't say aggression, but certainly it's uh, an act of, uh, you know, self-denial in a certain way that you, you don't feel you're enough yourself. I yeah. mean, most people feel that, at, certainly at Christmas, if you arrive anywhere without something to give, you feel that you're you're not really wanted at the, this time the gall, of year. The gall of uh, Lena Kale or whatever they say, the two exactly. hands hanging, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yes, yes. So, yes. so, so, so you see, most, thing, people, yeah. most people, Mark, don't think about these things properly to the extent that you guys in the monastery have have time to examine the underlying motivations here. So that is, that's an interesting take on the presence. And like, will you have any kind of festive Christmas in the sense will you have a, a Christmas dinner and the turkey and ham and that kind of thing? 
Oh, yes, we certainly will. But, I mean, you know, uh, turkey and ham are also an imposition, you know. In fact, <laughs> you know, as far as, well, I mean, uh, to me now, there's nothing more boring than turkey. Oh, I, I'm it's 100% like, it, with you on that, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit like aeroboard, or the, especially the kind of turkeys that you get nowadays. I couldn't you know, agree where more. They, a huge, huge breast and then a few... Little, you know, I remember hearing about a, a woman who won a turkey at um, Christmas time. You know, one of these uh, raffles. A raffle, that yeah. Have. And she won the turkey, and there were a whole lot of men around the counter when she was going in to collect it. And so uh, they all were saying to her as she was coming out, uh, "Think of me when you're cooking the turkey, and, and give me a leg." You see. Okay. A leg of the turkey. So uh, there are about four of them there. And as she goes out the door, she says, I'll have you gentlemen know that I want a turkey and not an octopus. Very good. I'm, I'm, so, I'm very relieved how that story ended up. I wasn't sure where you were going there. But you now people oh, yeah, will, well, of course, be on to argue that, oh, you just have to cook the turkey properly and use more butter and use rashers and all that kind of thing. But I think <laughs> I think I hear what you're saying. You know the yeah. way, Mark, there can be... Uh, a lot of um, big groups of maybe extended family and that kind of thing get together at, at this time of year. So you're, you're there in a big group, a bunch of men all the time. Do all the brethren have to get on all the time? Are you only human? Are there little tensions and dynamics between people? Or are you all kind of saints and put up with each other? Oh, no, I think, Brendan, any, <laughs> everybody realises that any group of people is bound to cause tensions of one kind or another. But, you know, we have a very interesting community here, you might say. Um, I remember, you know, very gifted people uh, in many ways, with lots from every, every different angle. But I remember there was one member of our community who used to be visited from a friend from England, and both of them were deaf. So they would sit out in the middle of the yard roaring at one another so we could all hear what they were saying. <laughs> and uh, uh, the man would say, how many members are there in this community? And our man would say, well, there are 30 members of this community. 28 of them are certifiably insane. <laughs> and we're all trying to find out who the other two are. So there's that kind of idea that you have a very wonderful group of people. And Christmas time is a time when most people uh, become bearable. You know, you, you, you sort of put on a good face about it. You don't start grumping and grousing. I mean, unless you're trying to behave like Dickens as Scrooge. But so it, it's a good time for everybody. And as I say, the Christmas dinner is done by ourselves. We have the most wonderful cooks in the community. In fact, two members of our community were originally managers of hotels. So, you know, <clears throat> you have every kind. It's like having um, a cordon bleu chef on board. Fantastic. So, yeah. so how many monks are left in Glenstall at this stage now? Twenty-eight. And are pe are people still be being attracted to to the life? Oh yes, of course they are. I mean, everybody in some corner of their I'd say most people at this hectic moment in Christmas 
have fantasies about <clears throat> being hermits and retiring and not having anything to do with anybody because your life gets so completely um, on the fast track that you, you would love to drop off and uh, rest yeah. yourself. And you see, so everybody is a contemplative monk at some tiny point in their uh, psyche. Absolutely. So there is an attraction for it. And uh, some people, now when I was joining the monastery, I would have been 19 and the people would have been 20 years of age. In fact, if you were 26, you were regarded as a late vocation. Whereas nowadays people join at their 40 or, and that's more difficult, and then they arrive and they stay for a month, and then they say, well, this is certainly not what I had thought monastic life was going to be. So they have all kinds of possibilities and leave. So there's a lot of coming and going about it. Okay, so I could give it a try, could I, just for a while, and then decide not for me? Oh, yes, of course yeah, you can. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, oh, so, yes. So I might yeah. see you for a few weeks in the new year. I'll pretend I'm seriously considering it, but I'll take it as a, I'll take ah, it as well, a sus beyogo to life. Drop down into myself and do a bit of thinking, deep thinking. That's great. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. So listen, um, reflecting on the year we've had uh, and and again back to like the kind of relative peace of your lives there the world does feel unsettled doesn't it like i think for a lot of people the abiding images of the year will be uh, children in gaza uh, and being r- run along in stretchers or carried in people's arms children crying and uh, children in distress and like you have, and, and look, we won't get into the rights and wrongs of it all, but both sides, I suppose, convince God is on their side. It's hard to see where God is in these things sometimes, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's very hard, but I mean, all these things are human made, you know, all the troubles of the world are mm. ourselves. And you, I uh, believe absolutely in the God and in the Trinity that they are the ones who are uh, creating this magnificent possibility and that they uh, gave us freedom but also they fell in love with the world so much like most of us fall in love with what we have created ourselves And it's a foolish thing to do, in a way, to fall in love with your own creation. And so you try and uh, make it come to where you want it to go. But having given everybody free will, they have to be allowed to move at their own speed and in the directions that they... So our world, especially in the last year, has been a horrific scene of uh, egotistical political, power-lusting, every form of uh, ego trip for the human species. And we're very fortunate in Ireland to be uh, as peaceful and as prosperous as we are and in a beautiful climate and in in a way which most of the world is deprived of. So Ireland is almost like our monastery it's it's a kind of uh, haven in the middle yeah. of of uh, a storm and so we're I suppose people here people a were mm. a bit rattled then though weren't they by um the the, the riot on O'Connell Street and then you know the burning hotel in Connemara in recent days I think people thinking this is not really 
what we expect Ireland to be or who we are or it doesn't seem uh, well I mean look uh, I mean every we can't believe that we're living in some kind of paradise uh, there are going to be uh, troublemakers everywhere and uh, we have to be ready for that and we we're pretty good at it in a way you know these things uh, were horrific when they occurred but when you uh, see the actual details of it, you realize that compared to what's happening in other places around the world, ours are small enough to be contained. Yeah. Um, what did you think of Shane McGowan's funeral? Well, I mean, the first thing is that I wasn't, I was actually conducting the funeral of Chuck Feeney. Yeah, and I want to, talk, I want to ask you about Chuck in a minute. Yeah, um, and also it, it was actually Sinead O'Connor's birthday the same day. And I would say that uh, Shane McGowan's funeral was, was almost like the burial of an Irish chieftain, you see. It was, we decided that we would have a, a wonderful time at the funeral, and most people did have have an extraordinary celebration more than anything else of a life which the, uh, most of us have enjoyed, basically speaking. But it was more uh, for ourselves, especially, I mean, the beautiful four horses that carried the carriage. And the, it was almost like uh, an emperor of the old days being buried. And, uh, you know, everybody uh, enjoyed it immensely. But whether it was any good to him I don't know or to his family I think probably they did enjoy yeah, I having, think so I think you know so. I think everybody everybody participated really yeah so you that day you were officiating at at the funeral of Chuck Feeney the extraordinary philanthropist gave away um, billions and a lot of it to Ireland you knew him quite well did you I did, yes. Uh, in fact, um, in the 1990s, I, I would have met him first. But my, you see, he Did was he know Irish. how to give, Mark? Did he give oh, in a way that was me. not uh, any kind of an act of trying to control or anything? No, yes. Uh, in fact, I, he was more of a monk than I am. You know, <laughs> he, his, incredible. He had this extraordinary gift. I remember he told me, that there is enough money in the world to be able to give every child that's born on this planet a million dollars to start with. But, he said, within 10 years, all that money would be back again in the hands of the very small percent of people who mm -hmm. actually know what money is and how to handle it. And he was one of those people, and he and so he had nine billion dollars that he had accumulated and that he put into a foundation, the Atlantic Philanthropies, and he said, giving while living was his philosophy that he wanted all of that money to be put back to the use of people who needed it before he died, and he succeeded in doing that. And so I gather he, he had no yeah. time for religion, really, but you got money out of him for Glenstall, did you? Well, first of all, he felt that religion was responsible for most of the problems on the planet that he was trying to solve or trying to help. 
which, you know, is true. Uh, the, as you said, we're different religious groups who feel that they need to get rid of other religious groups, etc. So, but that's a different thing from uh, having a connection with God. You understand, yeah. religion is the what we decide is the way to approach. So um, he was. He never gave money to uh, religious foundations or anything that had a religious banner, as it were. But I met him uh, in when he was actually giving huge sums of money to the University of Limerick. And I sent him a note saying, Dear Chuck, we're stuck without a buck. Because <laughs> if you're actually, uh, you know, I was in charge of, of um, fundraising here at the time. It's a dreadful job. But the important thing is not to send begging letters to people which they throw in the waste paper basket. What you have to do is send them something that they will show to another person and say, do you see what I got here? You know, this is... Uh, as strange or interesting or whatever it is. And once they do that, then they... And so he gave us okay. two million. <clears throat> so you need a hook. Very good. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The very one. Exactly, you do. Listen, yeah. I, I did promise people some spiritual guidance for the festive season. now, And, and actually, a lot of people will have the, the uh, Gregorian chants album from Glenstall in their homes. I think it's kind of a mindful uh, experience for people a lot of time. Any advice for people on staying calm and being present and all that kind of thing at this time of the year? Well, I mean, I think it's absolutely impossible. If I mean, I was doing a wedding in Trinity College, Dublin, uh, at the weekend, and I went down Grafton Street. And my goodness me, if you are in Grafton Street at this particular time, it's 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 like being at a disco. You know, you're completely surrounded by uh, turmoil, as it were, people shopping and everything. So it's very, very difficult. But there's no necessity at this time of the year uh, to kind of uh, retire or become a hermit or anything else. You just have to go with that, but to maintain in your own self a part of yourself that can't be reached or can't be destroyed by all the mayhem that's going on around you. Okay. Everybody has to try and find that particular place. Now, you can live in a monastery and you have it uh, structurally done for you, but everybody has to create that space for themselves. And we have to be guardians of each other's solitude. You know, we have to allow other people to have that space too. So we don't come crashing in on people and uh, forcing them to be as jolly and as joyful as we are ourselves. We have to respect that space around and inside everybody and all that, you see, the difficulty is that everybody has their own way of doing that. Mm -hmm. And my way and your way could be so different. But uh, if you, you have to find your way of doing it. Now, there are thousands of books that you read about how to do that. And each one of them, maybe they have their own formula or recipe. But the trick is to find your way of doing okay. it and to create that in your own room or whatever place you are. And ultimately to end. drop down and find there's a the, the peaceful kind of places in all of us there somewhere so to, to drop down and, and find the quiet to find it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
I know it's very easy to say, yeah. but if you if, when you do find it, it's the most valuable thing you've ever found. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. You've picked out a piece of music to play, Mark, and it's by uh, Sinead O'Connor. You knew her well, did you? Well, now, Shane o uh, Sinead O'Connor came here to Glenstall on a magic day in 2003 and recorded with the monks. Um, uh, we called it Biscantorat, uh, which was a CD. Now, Biscantorat is the Latin phrase, which bis means twice, canto means to sing, orat means to pray. So what they say is, if you sing, you pray twice. And oh, she had the most wonderful voice. And, of course, Brendan Kennelly had that lovely phrase. He said that Sinead's voice has gone places that she hasn't yet caught up with. You know, she really mm. could sing in ways that were divine. Yeah. And so um, she came to visit Noreen Nirian, who at that time was living uh, in with her family on our grounds, because we had made three recordings with uh, Miholo Suluon and Noreen. And uh, Sinead had already been studying the prophets with Wilfred Harrington, in the Milltown Institute that year. She's a very religious person, you know. She's very, very, she said, my two great interests in life are music and religion. So the idea that she was an atheist or that she didn't believe her is just wrong completely. So that is a most beautiful recording of her singing her heart out to the God that she believed in, the God of truth and the God of love. But she also sang this wonderful Wexford carol, which Noreen taught her, called The Darkest Midnight. The Wexford carols are, will be sung every year for 300 years down in Wexford. And this one of them, The Darkest Midnight, I mean, it's probably a place where Sinead knew very well. She lived a lot of her life in the darkest midnight. And her rendering of that carol is really very beautiful. Okay, and just before we listen to that, Mark, Mark Patrick Hederman in Glenstall, a very happy Christmas to you and thank you for talking to me today. And, and indeed, happy Christmas to all your brother monks in the Abbey and I hope it's a very special midnight mass and I hope you enjoy the turkey. And here is Sinead O'Connor <laughs> singing the Wexford Carl, The Darkest Midnight in December, I think is the full title, in Glenstall Abbey. This is over 20 years ago. <laughs> 